Good morning, Grandview. Let's open in a word of prayer before we look into God's word. Father, thank you today for this message and for the things you're going to show each one of us. May we walk worthy of you in the days to come as we look at this passage. Thank you for all that you're going to teach us, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. What have you learned during the COVID-19 pandemic? As I have sat and listened to my own heart and my own thinking, I've been reminded how much I value relationships. Last Wednesday, we had our first parking lot praise service in our north lot. And near the end of the service, as I was praying for us, I began to get choked up. As I looked out over the group and the relationships that I saw popped back into my mind. Relationships are important. We all crave some level of relationships, even the introverts among us, because we're created in God's image. And God, who has been in eternal relationship in the Trinity, what we find out is that we need relationships. But the question for us is how do we nurture and maintain relationships that we're in? Well, I think the message today will go a long way in answering that particular question. Now, I need to clarify something from our last sermon on putting off and putting on. We studied this concept last week in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 20 to 24. I said we are to put off the world's wardrobe, allow the Holy Spirit to renew your thinking and to put on your grace clothes. I, I like this this morning. You, you took off your sleeping clothes. You put on your go to church clothes or your work clothes because your mind reminded you where you needed to go. Here's our problem. We try to keep on our old clothes and put our new outfit on over them. It's rather bulky. It's rather ill-fitting. It's rather gamey next to my skin. And I think at times we're acting more like children, not wanting to remove our favorite superhero costume to get dressed, and so we put our clothes on over that costume. Paul is saying, for us to live a healthy, pleasing spiritual life, we need to take off, to put off the world's wardrobe of our old self. So I just want to make that very claim, clear, that you cannot just keep putting on new clothes without first removing the old, tattered clothing of sin and the old man. Well, today we're going to look at some practical examples of putting off and putting on. I call these relational essentials because these truths will work in all relationships that you might have. Now, what's the background of the passage? In the book or the letter to the Ephesians, Paul spent 
half of the book telling his readers all the things that God had done for them. They were the objects of God's grace. They had been accepted and adopted into God's family as full-fledged adult children. And now starting in chapter 4, Paul urges them and he urges us to live up to this new reality as children of God. And we have a choice to make because Paul doesn't command that. He urges us. He says, I, I compel you. But every day we make choices to either live like our old way of living with our old wardrobe or we put on Christ and we put on the new wardrobe of grace every day. This idea in chapter 4 verse 1 of walk worthy will be the theme of the rest of the book. We are to walk worthy in the church, he said. We're to walk in unity and using our diverse gifts to serve God and to serve one another. He's also going to say, now we're going to walk worthy in this world in holiness and in relationship one to another. Now, before we look at the passage, if you want to turn to Ephesians 4, verses 25 to 32, I want you to understand the structure of this passage. Three, each, there's five different commands or five different exhortations. And for each of those, there is a negative command. There is a positive command. And then thirdly, there's a reason for the positive command. So the negative command, he's going to say, put off the old life. Put away the old behaviors and the old way of thinking. Rid yourself of old, filthy habits. Put them off. Secondly, the positive command, he's going to say, you need to replace those old ways with new virtues. And then he's going to give you, thirdly, a reason for these positive commands. He's either going to talk about the basis for change, or he's going to talk about the benefits reaped from taking on this new way of life. So let's read the passage, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 to 32. Therefore, put away falsehood. Let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ 
forgave you. That ends the reading of the passage. I have put in your notes a chart that you can fill in looking at these five specific commands. The first one is found in verse 25. It says, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. What is Paul telling us to put off? The negative is put off falsehood, lying, deceiving. And some of you are saying, well, that's not me. I don't lie. Well, let's look at it a little deeper. Do you tell white lies? Do you tend to exaggerate? Do you flatter people to get your way? Do you regularly break promises? Do you tell half-truths? See, we're immersed in a culture that feeds on deception and oozes with falsehood, and we wonder how we cannot pick up those traits. Look at any advertisement. They promise you happiness and, and a beautiful life if you just buy this one product. And often you buy the product and within a week it's broken or it has lost its shiny look and you wonder. You see, falsehood, lying, and deceiving are Satan's language. He wants us to buy into that. What does he say in the passage? Put away falsehood. What are we supposed to put on? Speak truth. Speak truth. Be tellers of truth in love. Because Jesus is truth embodied. See, we owe all people truth. This is not a choice. This is a necessity. Now, what, what is the reason? It's because we're part of the same body, the body of Christ. And when I am not trust, when I am not honest, when I am not truthful, I undermine trust and it leads to conflict and confusion within the local body. When I don't tell the truth, it disrupts unity. It renders the body dysfunctional. Now, let's say, for the sake of discussion, if I am the body of Christ, let's say that my eye and my foot are having a squabble. And, and my eye is trying to get back because my feet have taken me somewhere that my eye didn't like. And so I get up in the middle of the night, I, I turn on a, a, a low dim light so as not to wake my bride. And, and my eye says, I'm gonna have fun with this guy. And he sees the piece of furniture with the heavy legs. And my eye says, I'm not gonna tell the feet that it's there. And all of a sudden, I am jumping up and down, hopping on one foot because I have stubbed my toe. The eye was dishonest. Or let's say my, my eye and my hand are having a squabble. They're not seeing things the way they should. And, and the eye says, you know what, I, I'm tired. 
I'm not going to be truthful. And so I get up in the middle of the night and I'm hungry. And I don't know what to have. And I remember, oh, we just bought some drumsticks at the store. And so I go to the freezer and I, and I pull out the box of drumsticks. And I say, oh, this will be such a nice snack tonight. And my eyes are, are taking it in and my hand gets ready. And, and my eye says, you know what? I'm going to play a cruel trick on this guy because he has had problems with me. And as I go to take my first bite, I do this. The eye fooled me. I thought I was going to reach my mouth, but I didn't. Truth is necessary within the body of Christ for it to function well. The second specific command is found in verse 26. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. What is the negative? What is the put off? Paul says, put off anger unbounded. Anger without boundaries. What would that include? Temper tantrums? Mild fits of rage? Okay, I, I don't do that. Well, how about lingering bitterness? Or holding grudges? Or I don't get mad, I get even. Retaliation. Revenge. Or, or maybe you've mastered those all, but, but you're a work of passive aggressive like no one else. And you always find a way of equaling the score. What is he saying in this text? Control, put on, control your anger. Control your anger. This is directed at sinful behavior, moral corruption, unjust circumstances. Yes, you can be angry about those things. But don't aim your anger at people. Learn how to handle your anger properly. Because the truth is, anger destroys the angry person and the community that it's found in. Well, what's the reason why should we control, learn to control our anger? He says right there in the text, and give no opportunity to the devil. Another translation, don't give the devil a foothold. The devil wants a foothold in your life. He wants opportunities to tempt you. He wants to use your anger to lead you into further sin. You see, anger develops divisions and disunity within the body. And through that, Satan gains control over our attitudes and our actions. So what is he saying there? Do not let the sun go down on your anger. 
Keep short accounts with your anger. Set limits. Matter of fact, what he says right here is deal with your anger every day. Don't let it go for days on end. See, the devil, he takes righteous anger, he intensifies it, and he causes itself to be sin over time. So the question is, is anger controlling you or are you controlling your anger? You have that choice. You know, in James chapter 1, we know this verse, be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to be angry. That's James 1.19, but many do not know James 1.20. If that, you would jot that down in your notes and look it up, because it says right after that, be slow to anger, because it says, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So are you an angry person? Do you allow your anger to go unchecked? And maybe you don't, but you've learned how to be passive-aggressive like the rest of them, and you have a way of settling the score. The third command is found in verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his hand so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Verse 28, what should we put off? Stealing. Dishonest gain. You know, we, there's obvious acts where we've seen stealing, but there's also subtle ways that we steal. We waste time at work. We borrow office supplies. We renege on a debt. We cheat on an exam or a quiz. We have adopted an entitlement mentality to say, I deserve this no matter how I get it. Anytime I am a part of dishonest personal gain, I'm stealing. And sometimes we use other words, like the word that seems to be heard a lot is pilfering. That doesn't sound quite so bad. Pilfering. It's theft. What are we to put on? What are we to adopt? Learn to give through hard work. Learn to give through hard work. Honest labor. What are the benefits? Well, when you work hard, you provide for your own needs and the needs of your family if you have one. It secondly gives you something useful to do. Thirdly, it enables you to help others in need. And fourthly, it enables you to advance the kingdom through supporting Christian organizations. All of that happens through honest labor. Now, what's the reason? What's the, the benefit? It advances the kingdom. It helps the body function properly because as I see needs within the body or needs within our community, I can say, well, I have some excess. I'm going to provide for someone else 
because right now they're going through a difficult time and they need encouragement, they need finances. Can you imagine, one author said, only grace can turn a thief into a philanthropist. Only grace can turn a thief into a philanthropist. Well, that's the third command. Number four is found in verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up as it fits the occasion that may, it may give grace to those who hear. What are we to put off? Rotten language. Rotten language. Often when I've used this passage in premarital counseling, I talk about a fish sitting on the bank of the Mississippi for a week or two because it was a carp pulled out and no one wanted it. But I've come up with a new one because this can mean a, pure, a putrid fish, but it also can mean, and I have a sample here, rotten fruit. And here are some beautiful, well-pictured berries, some strawberries that now have about a quarter inch of fuzz on each one of them. Would you like some of this? Ew. Are, are you sure? Can I open it for you? No, please. No, please. Rotten fruit. What Paul is saying is sometimes I open my mouth and you open my mouth, and here's what's coming out of your mouth. A rotten fish or rotten fruit. This is what's coming out. And we wonder why people turn from what we're saying and cringe. It's a language that tears down. Maybe it's sarcasm, demeaning, unkind, spirited words. But it also can mean just frivolous, empty, idle, worthless words, words of no value. How many times do we find ourselves engaging our mouth without engaging our mind and we say things that we wish later we could pull back or erase? Rotten language. What are we to adopt instead? Grace-imparting language. Grace-imparting language. See, language is not to entertain others. Language is meant to lift them up, to edify them. It says in the text, our words should be appropriate for that moment. Because I can say great things, but they're just inappropriate. And thirdly, they should be gracious. Years ago, when I was a child, I remembered my mother saying to me, if you can't say something nice, don't say anything. I think we've lost that. I think we sometimes say things that cause ourselves to cringe when we look back upon it. Those words do not impart grace to those who hear. 
What's the reason why we need to do that? We need to build up the body of Christ. We need to remember that our mouths and our hearts are connected because my mouth speaks what's already in my heart. And God needs to do a work in my heart and in yours to sometimes clean up our language so it's not so stinky, so rotten. So guard our hearts. Guard our hearts so that out of our mouths do not come rotten language, but instead language that imparts grace. The last command is found in Verses 31 and 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. What are we to put off? Hostile attitudes and actions hostile attitudes and actions. And there's a list there. That is a terrible list. Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, malice. What do those words mean? Let me just give you thumbnail definitions. Bitterness, harboring resentment, rejecting reconciliation. I cannot be consoled. Wrath, deep Seated rage, anger, uncontrolled temper, um, grouchiness, anger, clamor. That was one I didn't fully understand until I did the study. Shouting down opponents, bawling, shouting matches with someone else. My voice will be louder, so therefore I win. Slander, destroying another person's reputation by gossip, insults, and malice kind of covers them all in a sense. It's intentional acts of evil. I planned it. Spite, meanness. Paul says, put it off. It doesn't become you as a follower of Jesus Christ. What am I to put on? Loving attitudes and actions. Loving attitudes and actions found in verse 32. Kind, tender-hearted, forgiving. Kind, gracious and merciful towards another. Helpfulness at times that may involve great personal sacrifice, tender-hearted, compassionate, offering care and comfort, sympathetic, willing to bear another's burden even though it might cost me something, forgiving, extending reconciliation to another, Extending reconciliation to those who have harmed me. That's even harder. A readiness to pardon an offense without retaliation. 
And, and what's here is constantly forgiving. Remember in what Christ said, how many times should I forgive? And he says, 70 times seven. Release the debt. Let it go. Let it go. I think there's a song like that. Now, what's the reason? End of verse 32. As God in Christ forgave you, we're to live out God's example for us and imitate the life of Christ. It's a forgiveness that is grounded in God's forgiving us in Christ. One author said, we do not control the actions of others. But in choosing to forgive, we establish control over our own responses. How well do you forgive? How loving are your attitudes and actions? Now, I skipped over a verse, verse 30. And verse 30 is the motivation to practice these examples. Here's what verse 30 says. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. This thought of grieving the Holy Spirit can, can be inserted after any one of these five examples. You can cause the Holy Spirit pain and distress and sorrow. The word grieve, it's the same word of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane in Matthew 26, verse 37. He was grieved. I learned that grieve is a love word. See, you cannot grieve someone who does not love you. And what Paul is saying, it grieves the Holy Spirit to see your spiritual progress interrupted by sin, by old clothing. It grieves the Holy Spirit when we are not living worthy of our calling. See, God's holiness does not tolerate sin. So the question this morning becomes, does your behavior and actions lead to a smile on God's face or does it lead to him being grieved by you? Go back to your outline. And the very last column of that outline, there are some emojis, some smiley faces and some frowny faces. For each of those five areas, go back and rate yourself. Do these areas the way you presently live, do they bring a smile to God's face that you are making spiritual progress? Or are your actions grieving the Holy Spirit of God. As you look at those, are you telling the truth? Is your anger under control? Have you learned to give to others through honest hard work of your own? Is your language 
grace imparting? And are your attitudes and actions loving? Rate yourself. Circle the one that you think God would see this morning in your heart. See, what does this mean for all of us? What's the bottom line? All of this requires our obedience to the truth. Now, how can we do that? We need to keep these truths in front of us. We need to go back over this list on a regular basis and saying, am I making progress? Am I becoming more like Jesus Christ? And if I'm not, Spirit of God, do a work in my life. Show me the things I need to get rid of. Would you, be, would you empower me in a fresh way as I yield myself to your control? Secondly, would you learn afresh to reject self-centeredness? I think too often we allow our old nature to lead us into disobedience. It, it feels so good at the moment. We must seize the imperative and choose obedience. No matter how hard, no matter how costly, no matter how pleasant, we must do what God asks us to do. Thirdly, would you ask the Holy Spirit this morning to energize your new self, your new creation, those new grace clothes that he would like you to put on. Energize those. Now, practically, so that all of us can understand this, I have four things. One, watch your tongue. <laughs> Does your tongue speak truth? Does your tongue build up? Does your tongue give grace to those who hear? Or do people cringe? Or in your unguarded moments, do you say things you wish you could change? Secondly, watch your hands and feet. Make those, their hands and feet, respect others' property and put them to use gainfully to earn a living. Thirdly, watch your part in the body of Christ. Are you nurturing others? Are you serving others? Are you loving others? Are, are you forgiving others? How the body functions also depends upon you. And finally, watch your relationship with God. Are you yielding to his spirit? Are you relying upon his power for your life? Are you seeking to grow more and more like Christ? Are you serving the body and serving God? Are you saying no to sin? Are you grieving the Spirit of God who loves you, who wishes to empower you to live a life that is pleasing to him if you just yield your life to him? He will show you what to give up, what to adopt. Are you grieving him? Take some time after this message and, and process through this and evaluate your own life. What does God want you to work on 
with him in control. Let's pray. Father, this morning, these are hard words. All of us can do better. And Father, you don't wish us to reform the flesh. The flesh cannot do that. You wish us to be empowered by your Holy Spirit to live a life pleasing to you. So even this morning, Father, point out an area that you wish to see changed, that you wish to bring change into our life and show us how we can yield to you, submit to your leading, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.